you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Row campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. At the beginning of this year, Apple Music uh, did this uh, kind of neat thing where they took our previous year's music and gave you a recap. What did you listen to the most? And my friends posted all their uh, grand list full of hundreds of different artists where they uh, developed these powerful playlists. And mine looked quite different. I had four albums that consumed the entirety of my list. The Pink Fong Essentials album, uh, which includes Baby Shark and Tyrannosaurus Rex, are high on the list of albums we played. Uh, Next most popular uh, going up the list was the Rent soundtrack. When when my kids see a cow now, they say moo, just like uh, Adina Menzel does on that soundtrack. Uh, The the second album was uh, uh, Taylor Swift's Folklore, maybe one of the great gifts to come out of pandemic. Uh, And then the first one was the Hamilton soundtrack. Uh, I keep coming back to that uh, masterful uh, work of art. I keep finding myself, when I don't know what to listen to, I just turn on the soundtrack and let it go. You've heard me tell you that uh, I, I, I love it. Um, there are uh, highs and lows. They bring you to uh, moments of joy and moments of, of, of great sadness, moments of hopelessness and moments of uh, wonder. People ask, often ask me, uh, what's my favorite song on there? And, I, and it's a complicated story, Janelle, right? To, to talk about your favorite song from a, uh, a musical or opera album. Uh, if you make me pick just one, it'd be um, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. This is uh, towards the end of the soundtrack. It's, it's quite actually the last song uh, where uh, Hamilton's wife is reflecting on their life and uh, how your story is told uh, after you die. Uh, If you make me pick one, it's that one. It's the one I always cry in, especially the secret ending that I won't tell you about in case somehow you have missed this global phenomenon. Um, But if you you let me have two songs, I I think the two-song team that is the best is uh, Hopeless and Satisfied. Uh, It's the tale of uh, Hamilton's marriage told from the perspective of two different sisters. Uh, The first one, Hopeless, is Eliza Schuyler's... uh, uh, retelling of how she met Hamilton, how she uh, fell in love, and how uh, they ended up engaged to be married. It's uh, sweet and tender and beautiful. And and the very next song is Satisfied, which is uh, sung by Renee Elise Goolsberry. She is quite possibly the most powerful female vocalist of all time. If if you're at home and have not heard this, you need to go hear it. If, If you have heard it, you need to be nodding your head that, yes, she is incredible. She tells the story of how she set up Hamilton and Eliza, how though her heart was drawn to him and how she uh, found him intriguing, she as the oldest sister had these things she had to do. Uh, You can sit and listen to her and be awestruck by her performance. But if you give me three songs, there are three songs that uh, a three-song set is is the best about 12 minutes of the uh, the whole thing. It's Guns and Ships, History Has Its Eyes on You, and The Battle of Yorktown. Uh, It's the story of kind of the turning point in the Revolutionary War uh, where uh, finally the Marquis de Lafayette, this French general who's been working uh, with the Americans, 
uh, helps begin to set up what they need to do. They need to get more guns and more ships. He goes off and gets them. He's making these plans, and, and quite frankly, David Diggs is rapping some of the best raps you've ever heard. Uh, it segues beautifully into Chris Jackson singing to Hamilton, you've got your chance. And now history has its eyes on you. I, I've uh, been through this, but now it's your turn. What you do is going to be your story. It's, uh, it's the song that I would love to be able to sing, but would never have the confidence to do it. It, it fits in my range, but I could never like pull off the uh, swelling grandeur of this uh, song. And, and the way it flows right into the Battle of Yorktown, where they set up how they... Uh, how they ultimately defeat the British army and how they win using uh, Hamilton's brilliant mind and guerrilla tactics. It's, it's the best three-song set. And it, it points to this broader picture of, of Hamilton that uh, everything we do uh, ultimately lives on. There's a, a story beyond the story. You know, Lin-Manuel Miranda brings this out through his lyrics and, and pointing us to Hamilton. How many of us really knew much about Alexander Hamilton other than the fact that uh, Aaron Burr shot him? We, we really didn't uh, learn a ton about him in your middle school social studies class. Yet for millions and millions of people, we feel like we lived with Hamilton. His story is being told. History is unfolding. And much like Eliza's song, it's a matter of who lives and who dies and who tells your story. You know, we each know that our lives uh, are going to be a story that's told later. That history is going to look back on us, whether it's uh, some grand history that's in the history books or whether it's uh, a grandchild or a friend or a neighbor. I've heard so many of you talk about you hope that your children uh, can look back and talk about this. Or I've heard uh, a number of you talk about, I wonder what my legacy will be. And this isn't rooted in family, but it's rooted in who we are. What is, what is my legacy going to be? Is it going to be my work? Is it going to be my wealth? Is it going to be my role in the church? We all hope that history looks back at us fondly, with good favor, that we did right things. I've been reading a lot of history this year, and probably the most painful history I read was with our racial justice reading group. Uh, we just finished uh, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi's book, Stamped. It's the history of racist thought in America. Friends, talk about a painful book to look back at history. And maybe the most painful part for me is that at every point the church seems to be woven into racist thought in America. From uh, the earliest days of our country... Uh, the church perpetuated a myth that uh, there were two creations, that white people were the people that the Bible was talking about and that black people were different. The church is the one who said, it's better to come to America as a slave and learn from the Christian white people than to stay in Africa. It's the church that perpetuated that only white people could lift up uh, black people out of poverty. It's the church that pushed separate but equal. In fact, uh, the Christian Supreme Court justice who ruled that separate but equal was unfair named that the reason wasn't because it was unfair but because it separated black people from white people and that they, they needed white people uh, influence to make them better. The 
the churches that we, we walked into on Sunday morning to worship were the same places that people walked in the back doors of the fellowship halls for their clan meetings. The lynchings were often held in the front yard in the trees of the church. And this is the explicit segregationist, what we would all call racism. The church was right there in what Dr. Kennedy calls assimilationist thought, that maybe if we can just make black people more like white people, things will be okay. And the church leads right through that. At, at every point, the church seems to be the leader in causing harm to, to black persons. And I don't understand it because I've, I've read the same gospel. I've encountered the same Jesus. How can it possibly be that, that in that moment, the church thought it was right? That this was true and good. They knew history was going to have its eyes on them. They knew that someone was going to tell the story, and yet this is how they lived, and this is how they uh, operated. I've been thinking a lot about that in light of Paul's uh, letter to the Corinthians this week. It's this second letter that we enter into the first letter Paul is the sweet beloved founding pastor who they get along with great uh, and by the time we get to second Corinthians which we believe is actually the fourth correspondence between him and the Corinthians uh, he is a pastor without love from his people uh, they are questioning his authority they think he is scamming them with this money for the Jerusalem collection they are uh, not so sure that they shouldn't be able to do the things that the rest of Asia Minor is doing in terms of uh, self-indulgence and they think that he is uh, he's so smart and so fancy he's trying to deceive them through his rhetoric and so we get to the the text today and before it Paul is saying I, there is no deception in my message I am simply pe- preaching the light of Christ if if there's a if there's a problem it's that uh, the eyes of those who are headed destruction are veiled by the gods of this age They have ignored God's grace such that they are oriented to uh, whatever the gods are in the world. But I am here to preach the glory of Christ, to declare that uh, Christ's light shines in the midst of darkness. I've been thinking about uh, how often the church has found in its midst people whose eyes have been blinded and been veiled by the gods of the age. And they're, they're insidious. They're, they're easy to miss. And frankly, we sanctify so many of them, whether it's chattel slavery, whether it's patriarchy, whether it's... Uh, the accumulation of assets and the development of riches. We make these things holy and they become gods of this age who veil our eyes. We see it as we look back across history and and we don't have to look too far to see folks who are in the light and the very center of the the life of the church who uh, we find out have worshipped a god of this age and are deceived and who deceive others. Uh, A full report has come out this week about... uh, uh, the life of Rabbi Zacharias. Uh, many have held, held him as uh, the greatest Christian apologist of our age, and yet uh, we find that he has 
uh, abused and raped and manipulated women after women after women throughout the life of his ministry. Paul would say that he's been veiled by the gods of this age, by the god of power and manipulation, and that he can't even fully see the light of Christ. Dave Ramsey this week had his second controversy of the last few months. Uh, Last year, he uh, talked about how he wanted to have his $10,000 banquets at a certain facility because he didn't want somebody making minimum wage to give his guests a hard time about their masks. Uh, And that was uh, strange enough for a person who preaches simplicity and generosity. Uh, But then this week, uh, went on TV and said that uh, anybody whose life would be changed by a $600 or $1,400 check is screwed already. antithetical to the gospel is revealed by the person of Christ, by his teaching and by the the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, These men have been wooed by the gods of this age. And it's so insidious because it looks just like what we think Christianity might look like. and reading this week uh, or this month a book called, a book called uh, Church Called Tove it's the story uh, largely of Willow Creek and their founding pastor Bill Hybels and how on the outside Willow Creek looked like a bastion of goodness and of, of Christ uh, Christ-centered worship and yet it's a story of 30-40 years of manipulation of patriarchy of uh, women being abused and uh, subjected to fear History has its eye on us. Our stories will be told. Our legacies uh, will be. And the question will be, are our eyes veiled by the gods of this age or are we living in the light of Christ where all things are pushed aside except for love? Is our uh, orientation, those things that empower us or those things that help us live a cruciform life that bears witness to a self-sacrificial love that Christ had for us? This is Transfiguration Sunday, the Sunday where we uh, look at how uh, Christ has revealed himself to the world, uh, that, that uh, thing that began at the beginning of Epiphany where the light shone in Bethlehem and the Magi came and first encountered the, the uh, enfleshed Christ has now find its fulfillment at the Mount of Transfiguration as, uh, as Jesus literally transforms before Peter, James, and John as, as he takes on a new appearance and Elijah and Moses come and they see the fullness of Jesus and they are scared. Things change from then on out, and the church's trajectory uh, begins to crystallize, and ultimately, God is revealed fully in the flaming fires of Pentecost. Christ's Spirit comes on the church and sets us forth to live in the light and to not hide behind the veil of this world, to, to flee from those things that would orient us away from the cross and to pursue God's holy love. The older I've gotten and the more I've read, uh, the more I realize how unsure I am of so many things. At 20 years old, I had a definitive answer to every issue you would ask me about. I could tell you exactly what I thought on every social issue, exactly how you should vote in every vote. I knew how exactly every law should be passed. I was really good at letters to the editor because I knew the answer. The older I've gotten, the more I've realized how little I know and how much uh, I need to draw on the Spirit 
how much I need my focus to be uh, the crucified Christ and the crucified Christ alone, how much, uh, how much harm I can do and how easy it is to be deceived by the gods of this age. So friends, I ask you, are your eyes at all veiled? Are there gods of this age that are tempting you to, to walk away from the light of Christ? Are there things that uh, if you look at, you go, I wonder how history would, would look at that. Are there uh, small doubts creeping in about this thing that you have justified or even sanctified as part of your life? Or are you dwelling in the light of Christ? Are you uh, availing yourself of the comfort and counsel and peace of the Spirit? Are you turning to the means of grace to fill you and to send you. We Wesleyans believe that this is a lifelong pursuit. We don't have a moment where we're in and then we're always in. We don't have a moment where it's checkmark and we're done. From this moment until Christ comes in final victory, we live as people in pursuit of God's grace, responding to the way in which he has pursued us fleeing from the wrath of this age, fleeing from the evil in our world. So friends, is your face veiled? Or are you living in the light? Would you pray with me? Lord, shine your light brightly. Draw us to it as moths to a flame. May it cleanse us and may it orient our lives. May it outshine the gods of this age and may any veil we're wearing be ripped. May our lives be oriented to you and may your spirit uh, be poured out upon us in abundance. Lord, reveal to us those things that we cling to, those things that we justify or sanctify, those things that uh, in, in our story will be shameful. Help us turn from them and flee and pursue you. Help us be a church that shines the light of Christ across the land and that points people towards you. For we know that uh, without your help, uh, we are hopeless, but with your grace, we have hope. Pour out your spirit upon us, loving God. I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We believe that the means of grace are one of the uh, most clear ways that God uh, encounters us and shines his light upon us, that we uh, experience fullness of his presence. And and in particular at the table, we come and encounter the very body and blood of Christ and, and are fed our family meal, given the grace to go out into the world and to bear the light of Christ wherever we go.